This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Dan Loney. Welcome back. Hour number two of Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. There are too many social problems around the world to sit here and list, but each one of these have components that need help with. A year and a half ago, the Chicago-based MacArthur Foundation set out with a unique concept, a competition to impact some of these issues. The idea was to provide a financial incentive for one idea and provide $100 million towards curing that problem. After receiving a wide range of proposals, it was whittled down to a last four, and that winner was announced recently. The winning idea submitted by the International Rescue Committee and the Sesame Workshop to focus on improving education outcomes for displaced children in the region of Syria. To take a look at that, we are joined on the phone by Cecilia Conrad, who is Managing Director of the MacArthur Foundation. And here in studio is Kat Roschetta, who's Founding Executive Director of the Center for High Impact Philanthropy here at the University of Pennsylvania. Kat, great seeing you again. Thanks for coming in. Great to be here. Cecilia, great to have you joining us on the phone today. Thank you. Thank you. So I guess let's start with how the idea for 100 and Change came about. The idea for 100 and Change emerged in part because of the foundation restructuring its work narrowing our focus to a small number of big bets and enduring commitments with the hope of having greater impact. But in the midst of that, we recognized that we were making all the decisions about what our big bets would be and how we would execute them. And we wanted to allow for the fact that we didn't know everything and open it up to find out what the world might tell us we could do with our resources to really have an impact and solve problems. So in doing this, take us through what all was entailed in in running something like this, because from what I understand, this was a year and a half, uh, all in told, at least the competition itself, and probably a lot of prep time in advance of that as well. That's right. I think the first challenge was how do you go about finding out? what problems are out there with solutions that have evidence to back them up. You know, how do you find that out and make it truly open to the whole world? So we decided on a competition format, and what was unique was that we, and unorthodox was that we didn't define what the problem or the solution was. And so we had a, a multi-tiered process that began in June 2016. We put out the open call. Applications were due in October of 2016. We thought, we weren't sure how many we would get. We thought maybe 500, 600. We got over 1,900 submissions from around wow. the world, from for-profits, for nonprofits. Uh, we then put those submissions through uh, various review processes, including an evaluation by an external panel of wise heads, judges drawn from all domains of society who we thought had the ability to assess the proposals in terms of whether they were meaningful, whether they had strong evidence, whether it was a strong team, and whether the solution could be sustained over the long term. So it was really a cast of, of not quite thousands, but certainly hundreds who helped us in this review process. Our board then narrowed it down to the eight semifinalists last February. 
And we then invested time with the eight semifinalists to help them make their proposals as strong as they could possibly be. My goal was to make the board's decision really, really hard. So, Kat, then how did the Center for High-Impact Philanthropy become involved in this process? Well, there were two points. One was um, I was one of the cast of hundreds that (laughs) Cecilia referred to, um, and I was a judge for um, one of the earlier rounds um, for the competition. But then uh, what happened was um, Cecilia came to Penn, um, gave some talks, and and we hosted an event. And and, um, around that time, she and I started talking about uh, the competition and just how many solutions have been proposed and um, because the center is the only university-based center that's focused on philanthropy for social impact. Uh, the social impact geek in me said, wait a second, you now have a database of 1,900 solutions to some of the world's pressing problems? Right, yeah. Beyond the one grantee who gets $100 million, there is knowledge there that could be useful to folks around the world, donors who care. And since it's already been organized and vetted by this cast of hundreds, um, that's really valuable information that if we could get into the hands of potential funders could result in even more change um, than just the the one prize winner. And you have a, a great piece in it. Book that you put together on this. What do you do with nineteen hundred ideas? Which is is an unbelievable question. Yeah. So as soon as I sort of um, uh, mentioned that idea, I realized, uh oh, <laughs> if we're going to actually do this, um, we're going to have to figure out how. And um, one of the benefits of being based here at a university is that we are able to tap um, a lot of different perspectives and talent to help us analyze um, solutions like what were submitted to 100 and Change. So um, over the summer, we had a crack team of um, analysts uh, for CHIP, for the Center for High Impact Philanthropy, all of whom had been involved in something called the Lippman Family Prize. Yeah. So they've spent a year um, training on how to identify opportunities for potential social impact. And that crack team, under CHIP's guidance, looked at the top 200 submissions to the um, to 100 and change and then um, identified our top 11 picks from among those top 200 and organized um, the top 80. Wow. So that, you know, <laughs> basically for depending on where you are, who you care about, or what issue, there is a solution there um, that is worth considering. We are joined uh, now on the phone by Sherry Weston, who is Executive Vice President for Global Impact for Sesame Workshop, which was the uh, organization in part uh, that was awarded the uh, the grant prize for this. Sherry, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for including me. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I, I guess take us through the ideas that you came up with and, and the whole process from your perspective, because I find it interesting just in going through this in the first place. Well, listen, it, you know, I have to say, I mean, just hats off to MacArthur. And, you know, they were the first to admit doing this for the first time. We were all learning as we went. But it was such an enriching, rigorous process that just made us so much stronger. And, you know, as a little bit of background, uh, Sesame Workshop and the IRC had formed our partnership before MacArthur's 100 and Change. And um, we had begun to work in the region with a pilot program. And when we heard about MacArthur, we thought, well, you know, if it's one of the most pressing issues of our time, we think this qualifies, and let's let's go together. You know, we ask IRC to join us for this um, competition, and you know, it was a very um, 
again, it was a very challenging process, but it also allowed us to think even bigger. You know, when you're doing a yeah. pilot, you, you, you develop the pilot based on what funding you have. And as a nonprofit, we're dependent on philanthropic support for all of our initiatives. But by even thinking about $100 million, you think about what would we do over five years? What would we do if we had $100 million? How could we take this to scale? What are the things we can think about that, that we wouldn't have even thought about before? So I have to say, I think it is such a great example of what audacious philanthropy can do. And to Cecilia's earlier point, there are so many organizations that have benefited from this and will receive funding, not just the final winner. And that's a yeah. huge gift. So t take us through uh, what your plan is now with the with your proposal. And uh, I mentioned it at the top, uh, trying to impact the education uh, outcomes for a, a lot of different children. Take us through what uh, you actually hope uh, hope to really accomplish here. Well, I'd be delighted. I mean, because of the, the scale of MacArthur's investment, we literally will create the largest early childhood intervention in the history of humanitarian response. And by that, I mean, it, it's important to understand that there's so many players doing wonderful things to try to serve uh, refugee families. But less than 2% of all humanitarian aid goes to education. So if you think about it, it's, it's somewhat understandable. You know, over the years, refugee crisis, you, you went for the immediate. You went for shelter, food. But the sad truth is the average displaced family is displaced for 10 years. And, and with, without money going towards education, how are we giving these uh, children a path forward? So we believe that this gift will not only change the lives of millions of children that are affected by the Syrian conflict, but it will absolutely transform the humanitarian response system because it is going to call attention to the fact that we have to be investing in reaching children in those critical early years. Well, Cecilia, that, that to have that mindset right off the bat—that's that's an unbelievable hill to want to climb in the first place. It is, but I'll tell you, it has been an inspiring project to work on. Yeah, um, we had so many amazing ideas submitted through the process with passionate, talented people behind them. That it really gives me optimism and. One of the things that we hope will be a long-lasting kind of message from this project to inspire other donors, other philanthropists, is that solutions are really possible, that, that we can change things, and to overcome, I think, a sense of the cynicism that's out there right now and replace it with kind of a can-do spirit. Okay. Well, and I, if I could chime in, that's exactly – I mean, what Cecilia said, all of us, the minute this was announced, we – you know, our first thought was, how many times do you get an opportunity to change the world? And, and this gives us one such opportunity. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, and, and I think the way uh, MacArthur went about this is, it, not only is there a great solution that was chosen, but the fact that um, they were excited about sharing with us all the information that they gathered means this just lives on. Um, right. You know, when we first started the Center for High Impact Philanthropy, I would hear about some of the things that other large staff foundations were considering. And I'd say, oh, great. Can you share that due diligence so that others will know about it? And I just think because of the way many have been set up, that was difficult to do. In MacArthur's case, with 100 and Change, as soon as we had the idea of sharing some of these solutions with others, 
we had access to the database. They partnered with other folks like the Foundation Center to make sure that it's not just our guidance, but other guidance out there. And all of a sudden, there is this um, collection of uh, curated information that can get other donors to solutions faster. And when donors get to solutions faster, that means we all get to social impact faster. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Joined here in studio by Kat Ruschetta, who is the founding executive director of the Center for High Impact Philanthropy here at the University of Pennsylvania. On the phone with Cecilia Conrad, uh, managing director of the MacArthur Foundation. And also Sherry Weston, who is Executive Vice President for Global Impact uh, for Sesame Workshop. I, I, I can't imagine. It, well, Sherry, when you when you put a plan together like this or a, an idea like this, you mentioned about uh, this is going to have an unbelievable impact on education, not only, I think, in this region, but it's going to lay a blueprint for what things can be done in other parts of the world as well. Correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's what makes it truly transformative. It, it, it really does have the potential to change the lives of children for generations to come, not just the over 9 million children we'll reach in this region. I, I also just, on the earlier point, think it's worth, worth mentioning that, you know, at the end of this process, I don't, Cecilia would have to tell us, I don't think it was planned in advance, but, but they also awarded $15 million to each of the other yeah. three semifinalists. And, you know, Harvest Plus and Catholic Relief Services and Rice University, they are doing such extraordinary work, as, as are all of the eight semifinalists, or, you know, the going back. And one of the other things I just have to say that I think is so admirable is, Throughout this process, MacArthur invested in for all eight of us to be able to meet one another, to receive um, sort of uh, counseling and coaching and and um, uh, consulting on scalability, and and so we really became. It, it turned out we were rooting for one another, you know, because we were all learning from one another and exchanging ideas, and that's just an incredible. Um, contribution that that MacArthur has made. Well, and Cecilia, that that brings up a great uh, great point to discuss with you is the fact that realistically uh, of all of the groups that that are in this and, and it variety it varies on a on a variety of different levels, but it is almost it is a win-win for every organization that it ends up being involved in this. We've we've tried to design this so that there would be benefits to participating. Uh, all of the valid submissions received feedback from our panel of judges. They got written comments. They got to see the evaluations that, that happened. We provided, as Sherry described, this additional support for the eight semifinalists. And we are strongly committed to trying to help find funding for the high-quality projects that we received, particularly the other three the other three finalists. And so, one of the reasons why the board made this fifteen million dollar investment in each of them was to send a strong message to the community at large that we believe in these projects. So we're going to be working. We want to find $100 million for every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, and they would be happy if you could. Uh, David Miliband, who is the CEO of the International Rescue Committee, joining us for a few minutes. David, great to talk to you again. Good to talk to you again, Dan. Uh, just give us your, your uh, reaction to uh, all of this, because this is just this is an unbelievable effort on a variety of different uh, fronts. And, and obviously what, what uh, International Rescue Committee and, and Sesame Workshop are going to be doing uh, here in the future is, is just an unbelievable idea. Yeah, we think that it's incredibly thrilling 
to have been chosen. We think it's a landmark investment by MacArthur uh, because the fate of refugee children has been neglected for so long uh, by so many. Uh, we think that the partnership that we have with Sesame really is unique and can set a model of early childhood intervention, not just for the Middle East, but actually for refugee children uh, globally. And I suppose the final thing is a, a broader point that I know that in the MacArthur Foundation's mind was the idea that at a time when there's a lot of fatalism around, at a time when there's a lot of cynicism around, at a time when many governments are in retreat from global responsibility, it's important for private philanthropy to step forward. And we feel as an NGO, as a non-governmental organization that works in 30 of the most war-torn and dangerous places around the world, we felt that we're on the front line on our own. And, and now we feel that with an award like this, we've got uh, partners with us who are willing to step forward. And so I think there's a real uh, ambition on our side to make sure that uh, we, we take the message into the wider philanthropic community that NGOs can deliver and that we, uh, when given the right kind of multi-year support, can really change lives in a fundamental way. Well, it, Sherry, I, I wanted to speak to you for a second about just the, the plan moving forward, because in this uh, digital world that we live in, we obviously have the ability, and, and I think you folks do at Sesame Workshop, the ability to really affect a lot of what we're going to see here in this education piece through digital means, correct? Absolutely. I mean, the power of, of media, mass media, digital broadcast mobile allows us to reach over nine million children in in the region in syria iraq lebanon and jordan but i do think what makes this this proposal and this this um, initiative so powerful is that that you're combining that with the direct services with the home visitation and creating content that will be used in learning centers and home visiting so that we will really be giving you the both the broad reach and the individual um, touching these families. And we know that's so critical for the most vulnerable children. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Your comments are welcome. We are joined uh, here in studio by Kat Rosquetta of the University of Pennsylvania, on the phone by Cecilia Conrad of the MacArthur Foundation, David uh, Miliband of the International Rescue Committee, and Sherry Weston of uh, Sesame Workplace. Uh, with your role in doing this, Kat, Tell us about how this is such a, a transformative idea moving forward, not only just for for your organization, but all of these 1,900 ideas that are out there and being able to take the next steps with them as well. It's a part of what um, prevents philanthropy from having as much impact as it can is because, like a lot of other sectors, the information around solutions is siloed. It's can be locked up in protected. the protected or, yeah. or just and and not because people don't want to necessarily but it's not their jobs or they don't have the capacity and so you've got um, great insights that are locked in the heads of head uh, executive directors of nonprofits um, experiences that a program officer has that his or her fellow program officers don't know about and have no way to get to an individual donor and I think what is exciting about both how MacArthur designed this about the partners who are now committed to helping share this knowledge is 
it's breaking all those silos open. Um, it's like what Sherry said, the, the, some of the finalists have gotten to know each other and have shared great practices. Um, we are committed yeah. to making sure that the information about these solutions gets into the hands of donors who might never have even heard of the MacArthur Foundation. Right. But they really care about things like improving health um, uh, in regions of the world that don't have access or um, making sure that land can get uh, repurposed that have been lost due to landmines. I mean, you, you just think of the different problems around the world. We're all too aware of the problems. What this prize did is now make it more possible for people to be aware of the solutions. Yeah. And, and I, I, Cecilia, that was going to be my, my next question to you, is the awareness, just to be able to have, uh, obviously, the eight uh, the eight finalists in in the awareness of what they are trying to do brought forward, but all 1,900 of these ideas, to be able to have them in connection with each other in some way, some fashion, over the next several years, to be able to advance so many different changes. Yes, that's one of the things we hope for. We, um, I think the database is valuable not only to other donors, but we've encouraged participants to use it to find others who are addressing the same set types of problems, maybe in different parts of the world. It struck me as, as I read the 1900 applications that there were many examples of problems in, say, a rural part of the U.S., and an organization doing work in a rural part of India where there were there was a possibility for a transfer of knowledge. So I, I have a fantasy of kind of doing matchmaking over the next year. <laughs> 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 I've even I even thought, well maybe I need to call eHarmony or match dot com and see if they could do that for us. <laughs> Well, I, I guess the the other interesting piece to it is the fact that, you know, you're talking about, uh, David, an area, at least in your project, an area of the world which has obviously gone, uh, you know, gone through unbelievable turmoil uh, in the last few years. And I guess to a degree, if you are able to reach the children first, then that potentially sets up the next generation and the generation after that to really change their life and then change the lives of the uh, the next few generations behind them. Well, that's a great point, but I'd put it in a rather more stark way. At the core of our presentation was the idea that there are two futures for the literally millions of Syrian children displaced by war. Remember, there are six million refugees, about half of them are children. There are about seven million internally displaced within Syria by the war. Half of them are uh, children. So you're talking about uh, really huge numbers of children. And, and the two futures for them are very clear. Uh, those who are affected by this war will either be uh, affected for their lives by what's called the toxic stress that they have suffered, the trauma of war and displacement. It will affect their ability to learn. Mm -hmm. It will affect their ability to work. It will affect their ability uh, to function effectively in society. Uh, the alternative future is that we don't deny this trauma they've, they've been through, but we treat it. And we don't thereby eradicate it, but we do make possible for them to come to terms with it, for them to reduce its impact, and for them to be able to proceed to the next stages of their learning and their life with the ability to control themselves and control their own surroundings and contribute productively to the future of the region. So I don't think it's um, in any way uh, fanciful uh, to talk about this making a long-term contribution to the stability of a very unstable 
uh, part of the world. And I don't think it's in the least bit alarmist to say that without these kinds of investments, the future is very, very bleak indeed. And just to bring it down to a final point at a very practical level, there are 250,000 children in Lebanon at the moment, Syrian children, Mm -hmm. who've had no education for six years. And you don't have to be uh, alarmist to to know that the devil makes work for idle hands. And this is a very, this is a tinderbox, frankly, and it's one that needs to be addressed urgently. Sherry, your comments on that? Well, I think you're absolutely right, both of you, but that, you know, we've talked about that, that, that we know we can give these children the tools they need to thrive and flourish, but if not, how can they be expected to have the skills to rebuild their societies? And to David's point, what does that mean for the rest of the world? So we feel this is an investment um, that we all benefit from and that will have transformative effect to help children beyond Syria for generations to come. Sherry, let me ask you this. I mean, obviously, the the brand of the Sesame Workshop is so well known here in the U.S. and, and other parts of the world. Uh, but to a degree, it, it, the brand really doesn't even play into the ability to advance a lot of, of what you want to do here, because this is a, this is to a degree this is new territory for you, correct? Well, well, I think you know. Listen, most people are know Sesame Workshop for Sesame Street here in the United States. Right. It's certainly best known, and they're not always aware of the work we've done for years in developing parts of the world. And we, I think one of the reasons we have the impact we do is we're not exporting the U.S. version of the show. Right. We go in and partner with local educators, with ministries of education, with artists, writers, um, child development experts, and we will create a completely local Sesame Street. It will be in Arabic and Iraqi Kurdish. Imagine, you, you know the Sesame characters here, yeah. but, but in the region there will be new Muppet characters that are designed to reflect children's reality. So you could imagine a Muppet who perhaps had to leave their home or um, lives in a tent or becomes best friends with a new neighbor, all designed so that children can relate to those characters, and that's what makes them so receptive to the lessons they're hearing and seeing. So, yeah. So we, it's the model of Sesame, yeah. which which is proven impact all over the world, but it will not be, um, but it will be truly local. Storytelling that they can relate to on a, on a daily basis. Absolutely. With, yeah. with, with very clear curriculum around academic um, outcomes, but also those social-emotional um, learning that is so critical for their success. Well, it's a phenomenal effort by all of you uh, that are on the phone with us today. I greatly appreciate your time. Cecilia, we, we wish you all the best uh, at the MacArthur Foundation moving forward. Uh, David, Sherry, we wish you all the best with this. We look forward to talking to you again about this because I think it's going to be phenomenal to see how this plays out in, in the years to come. Thank you all for joining us on the phone today. Thank Thanks you. Thank you. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.